Station. I can't get no call to action, but I try and I try and I try and I try. Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, business and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp, and I'm Giles Edwards. Today, I've caught Thomas Kemeny, a creative director and copywriter with a passion for pickleball. Thomas is the author of the advertising book, Junior, and apparently never misses an opportunity to mention it. Unlike most marketing books, Junior has proper practical advice on navigating hallways, not ballsing up presentations, and the virtue of pushing in your chair after meetings. A treasure trove of top industry talent tip their hats to Junior, including Call to Action alumni Vicky Ross, Luke Sullivan, and Cameron Day. Thomas says... Aesop, Hemingway, Shakespeare, they're dead. Feel free to rummage through their stuff. Literature is a great place to look for reference. It is rich with intriguing language. Trees don't blow in the wind, they wave their branches. Winter isn't cold. It climbs into your bones and settles its icy body. Use their tricks, dig up their secrets. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Thanks so much for having me. Right, we've got our seven quick fires, Thomas. So, math or maths? Math. That's wrong. <laughs> Budapest or Brooklyn? Ooh, Brooklyn. Agency or freelance? I'll go freelance. Right, this is these are pickleball shots, apparently. Falafel or flabjack? <laughs> I have not heard of either of those. I think you've been misled. <laughs> okay, favorite word: falafel or flabjack? I'm going to go falafel. Falafel is a great word. Chew with your mind open or hay whipple? Oof. Hay whipple because it is the reason that I am in advertising is that, is that book. So I blame Luke fully. Cookie scented bus shelters or a French fry and ketchup art exhibition? Oof, that is a tough one. I'm going to go cookie scented bus shelter on that one. That's very tight. <laughs> nice. Right. Lastly, an agency with no juniors or an agency of all juniors? All juniors, for sure. All juniors. Somebody's got to do the work. Can't just have everyone commenting. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Quick apology to Claire, who, um, as you might have picked up on LinkedIn, has, a, has an issue with the word pickleball. So I've just said it again <laughs> for you, Claire. Apologies. Right. To start the show, we always ask every guest about their path to where they are now. You've literally written the book on getting through the early days of your career. So what was your first ever job? And then what was your first proper advertising job? My first ever job was, uh, it was a strange one. I did something called um, furniture antiquing. So you take this beautiful piece of furniture and then you take a crowbar and like a piece of wood with some nails in it and you just beat the <laughs> hell out of it. And you just really mark it up. And uh, the guy who, who ran the company was like, yeah, these rich people, they just want things that look old. So you just fuck it up. <laughs> so that was my job. So you you'd fuck it up and then you'd have to uh, smooth it off real nice to make it uh, so that, you know, it wouldn't be like splinters and stuff stabbing, uh, stabbing people <laughs> playing, playing around with furniture. 
That was my very first job. Oh, hang on. I need, I need, I need more on that. I need more on that. So surely, <laughs> surely you can fuck furniture up a bit too much. Where's the line? There is a balance. Yeah. And, and at first I was a little shy about it because I was like, Hey, this is a really beautiful piece of furniture that you know you just put together. Uh, and then, and then the guy was like, no, you really got to hit it. You really got to hit it. You know, this has been moved several states, multiple countries. You know, you really, you really had to mess it up. And then, like, you varnish it so it looks like that had been for you know over decades that that it was uh, it had been it had been fucked up. Sorry if I'm swearing too much, but that was uh, that's a quote of uh, what I had to do to it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's insane. How how did you get that job? And how old were you? Oh, I was uh, I was 15 at the time, um, and it was my. Uh, my dad's friend, uh, and my, my dad had this idea of like, you know, really instilling uh, work ethic in me. So he's like, yeah, yeah, I signed you up for this job. It was absolute minimum wage. It was outdoors. It was uh, in the summer in uh, in New Mexico, state here in the U.S. It's not known for being cold in the summer. It was quite the adventure. I did that for a few weeks and man, did I get a lot of character. Yeah, yeah, you must have done. Was there a health and safety briefing before you started? <laughs> the health and safety was nowhere near that place. That was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but did you? Um, oh, so I'm clearly intrigued by this. Did it? No, did it's it great. Add, did it help add like decent margin? Did you see the prices of stuff that was sold? It was all made to order, so I don't know. It if... was made to order. So like a furniture hitman. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. You know, it was considerably more expensive after you beat it up. When it, you know, when it was a beautiful, clean piece of furniture, the garbage basically worthless. But once you once you beat the hell out of it, man, it's uh, that's some value right there. Oh, that is amazing. That's fascinating. <laughs> I love this question because we get stuff like this. Like this. We're going to have to move on, sadly. But and then, did you have ambitions to get into advertising? Like, a, how did your kind of early years develop? Yeah, after that, I was motivated to do something else. No, so I, I actually I did. I said it earlier. I, I read. Um, my brother actually gave me a copy of Luke Sullivan's book, uh, Hey, Whipple, we'll Squeeze This. My brother's not in advertising. He just likes reading books. And he was like, hey, I think you'd like this. And I read it the summer before I started college. I was like, oh, wow, this is, uh, I love how this person thinks. I love this. Hey, I didn't know this job existed. It's sort of a nice blend between art and business, which I was always interested in business, but I always had a little bit more of a kind of artist soul. So you know, I, didn't, I didn't have the, uh, quite the businessman sort of, spirit um and there, here was this little industry that kind of felt perfect to me i always loved writing so it was really a, a great thing and then i i so i studied that in college and then i interned at crispin porn Vygotsky way back when they were sort of the, the hottest place in the universe and it was a really big deal to get an internship there so that was kind of my first step in i don't know if i was unpaid so i don't know if that counts as my proper job uh that was my first proper being not paid to do something. Um, and then I did did like a few little freelance things just kind of to get by until I found a full-time job. Uh, and then I got hired my first real proper full job. at could be Silverstein and Partners in San Francisco. And that was really where I kind of made my career and uh, actually where I was where I was sitting when I wrote most of Junior. So if your brother hadn't given you Hey Whipple, what would you have ended up doing at college? Do you know, or was it, was, you would have just discovered that as you went along? I was originally going to study uh, interactive multimedia. So I'd probably have, you know, gotten a job in the early days at like Meta or something. And I would, you know, now be a multimillionaire, retired, happy, um, <laughs> living on an island. So yeah, really, really thankful for that. <laughs> How did you get that internship, by the way, if it was such a big ask? I wrote some crazy kind of letters to the recruiter there. Um, I didn't really have a great portfolio, partially because I just didn't have 
a ton of access to great art directors. I was still sort of, you know, figuring it out uh, myself. I reached out to the recruiter. The recruiter said, yeah, sure, cool, yeah, whatever. Just send me a letter of why you want to work here, and which was kind of like a super friendly way of just being like, go fuck yourself. But I did. I, I wrote these really fun, cool letters about, like, why I wanted to work there and also reasons uh, reasons why they shouldn't uh, hire me to work there. And they were just kind of these fun, playful letters. I wrote several of them over about a year. The recruiter eventually said, hey, these are great. We'd love to offer you an internship. So, and actually the first chapter of my book is verbatim those letters. So if you want to see what I wrote, they're there. And then what made you actually decide to write Junior? Because as you've kind of alluded to, and certainly in other interviews, to me, it sounds almost as like it was uh, started as a kind of self-help guide for yourself, because you were literally in that place going through those kind of hurdles. Yeah, it was a book I wish existed and I couldn't find it. I mean, I read, I read every advertising book. I still read every advertising book. I'm still trying to figure this out. But um, I, I couldn't find certain answers to things that you need to know when you're starting out because there's sort of a big leap from what is advertising, what is copywriting, all, and then it just sort of leaps all the way to sort of, you know, your, your global chair of something. And what do you need to know at that sort of high level? And there's really very few books, there are a few more now, but really weren't any at the time that are about those real early years when you're just absolutely getting grinded, you're just don't know what you're doing. You've got a day to figure out what you, and when you were in school, you had two weeks to do. So it's just sort of, how do you adapt to that? How do you think quickly? A lot, I have a lot of writing specific tips in there. I originally started writing when I was, I started teaching a class at Miami ad school and I taught a class on headline writing. And I was just like, well, what do, what do I really wish I knew about headline writing or what's like a way to really condense it down? Um, almost what's the headlines of headline writing? Uh, and that's that's kind of how the book started. And I just kind of kept writing it, kept writing it, and went from there. It's it's also like, I guess I didn't, it's sort of a weird thing to say, but like I didn't I didn't want to write the book. I kind of, I felt compelled that I, I had to write this book. Uh, I wish I would have just wanted to because I would have just stopped. But <laughs> it was actually, <laughs> you know, it's it's really quite a process to do. And, you know, I, I mean, you, you know, you know about these things, but yeah, it's sort of, it really takes a lot out of you. But in the end, it was, uh, I just, I felt compelled to do it. And then I've actually just been really excited about the, the response to it because seemingly people needed it out there. So that's been great. Yeah, it's, um, it's quite rewarding. Well, I, I assume it is when you say you wanted to write the book that you wanted, but couldn't find and a lot of the praise kind of says the same thing, that this book really didn't exist beforehand. Imagine if someone had said, oh, yeah, 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 you just you just haven't read that book. <laughs> yeah. When I finished it, I sent a copy to Luke Sullivan, who wrote, hey, we'll squeeze this. And I was sort of like you know, half expecting him to be like, fuck you, you piece of shit, copycat. Like, you're, you're garbage. This is, you know, you just took my book and made it worse. Uh, and he, he was actually really super supportive and uh, you know we've sort of become friends since and, you know he's like this is great i love this i'm teaching it you know i'm using it in my class which to me is just this absolute full circle moment um and and actually in the latest edition of his book he's quotes me in my book so that's kind of pretty wild that you know his, his book's the reason i started in advertising and i mentioned in that which is uh, an absolute crazy turnover yeah no it's amazing and, and in fact when we had luke on call to action probably oh maybe two years ago ish now he he recommended junior was it a year ago About a year ago yeah, yeah i had to pay him a lot to do that that was really 
And what about the title? What? What? Sorry, I was about to say what made you call it junior. I don't. Want, I don't mean to ask that. But how do you define what a junior is? Because in your Hay Whipple interview, funnily enough, you do say that it's it's an insult of sorts in many agencies. But it's also where the energy comes from, right? Yeah, there is sort of a stigma to the word junior. You know, it's that it's you want that title to go away on your resume as quickly as possible. Everyone wants to say that. Oh, I'm I'm a senior. Whatever the thing you do is whatever it's just a word it doesn't really mean anything but there is something to juniors where they're they're really scrappy they're new they're not jaded they, they're excited they think this is great and i think there's just something great about that spirit of just feeling like this is a new project i'm excited i'm looking forward to it i want to do great i want to solve this thing i want to impress people i think it's just that that's a real great positive attitude of starting a project and being a junior every day. That's sort of one of the reasons I call it junior. And there's a little bit of like fuck you-ness to it too, where it's like, I'm not pretending to be like the super genius, like, oh, this is for you. How to absolutely destroy everyone with your brilliant marketing words <laughs> book, you know, like uh, how 10 super secret tips to destroy and wreck everyone with your words. Like uh, I just, <laughs> this book isn't that. I hope that's the sequel. <laughs> that's the sequel. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Now I'm the greatest ever book. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think there's like a little humility to it. Just being like, look, chill out guys. We're doing advertising here and we're all still figuring it out. And it changes so fast that if you think you figured it out and you're sitting back, you're about to miss out. Yeah, that's a good point. Do you think there's a, um, the, you said humility. Do you think there's a bit of a, a, a tolerance of sorts from others within agency land who maybe have managed to get rid of the word junior from their job title? Because I certainly know people who would probably be juniors by job title or experience in the past. I've always recommended they ask, you know, as many dumb questions as they can because they can get away with it. And actually, it's it's the right approach. It's the right thing to do. It's that freshness. And you, use, you know, you talk about the energy that that brings, but it is that energy and freshness and ability to question things which maybe haven't been questioned for too long that is a is a huge benefit. Perhaps that's just something you only see in hindsight as well in the rear mirror. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, when I was a by title junior, I would stay in the office and just go. It was back when that office had doors way back. And I would just go from office to office and just talk to the more senior people, to the creative directors. Hey, what are you doing? What are you working on? You know, is there anything you need help with? Just chatting, getting to know them, just finding out what they're thinking about, what their problems are. And, and I actually got a lot of, just got a lot of projects doing that. Or at least when they would have to fill a project role, they'd say, oh yeah, where's, who's, that, who's that annoying kid who keeps coming by? Let's, let's get him to leave us alone. Uh, so yeah, that was that was definitely helpful for me. I think people will happily answer questions from a junior that they will not when somebody's further up, and they're just they just want you to do the job and leave them alone. Yeah, that's certainly true. What's some of the biggest challenges that you think juniors face that you address in the book? Well, I think one you're just you're sort of thrown in and expected to know what to do from day one, which is not totally fair, but also. You know, people are busy, and especially now the industry just moves so fast that there just really isn't time for mentorship. So I, I wanted to kind of slow down and, and answer some of those things of just how do you get to an answer quickly? 
because I think uh, anyone who's hired an, at an agency probably can come up with a good creative idea. I don't think that, you know, there's nothing kind of super spectacularly different about how one person does it versus another, but there are ways that, that you can do it faster. And so that a lot of this is just how do you reform your brain? How do you kind of think about different things? I think another thing is just how do you deal with the day to day? How do you how do you approach it as a career and what's sort of unique about advertising as a career and how people behave in this industry versus other industries. And and I think one theme that I kind of keep coming back to is just that a lot of people in this industry are actually just pretty decent people. If you can corner them in a room and just talk with them. What about the anxiety around like making mistakes? Cause that's a big one. I, you know, I say in the book, I love this idea of like make mistakes. I know that uh, like Wyden and Kennedy has the fail harder sort of motto i think there's something great about making mistakes which is it's not like don't do things well i think there's maybe a sort of feeling of like oh we'll just not do things well because we're making mistakes it's, it's not that it's like you wanted to do something you had a thought of a thing that would be cool and successful and it absolutely just blew up in your face and did not go anywhere close to the way you wanted it to do and i think there's just so much that you you gain from that and learn from that and you want to do differently the next time and I think those are the, the things that you're now, you're like, oh, I really need to overcome that or I need to rethink how I approach that thing. So, you know, big grand mistakes, uh, I think, are, are great. And and then just on a very sort of, sort of practical level, you just have to write 100 terrible lines to get to a great line. Um, you have to come up with 100 bad ideas to get to a good idea. Or you have to come up with 100 bad ideas to realize that the first idea is actually great. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that, that happens, too. But it's all about how do you get past that and get on to the next thing? How do you pick yourself up and get going again? And sometimes it's, you know, it's, sometimes it really sucks and it really hurts. And especially if you care about your job, it really hurts when things don't go well. Or that thing you thought, oh, this is going to catapult my career and it just doesn't go anywhere. It fizzles. And go to a coffee shop, have a cup of coffee, have a cup of tea, whatever, and take a beat and then go back to it and pretend that <laughs> pretend that it wasn't awful and that you're okay and that, and that uh, everything's going to be fine the next day and that's that goes back to the junior thing you you know walk in there again as if uh as if as if everything's fine as if you've never been hurt yeah there's a section of the book called writing rewriting and re-rewriting uh, which i which i love and your point on you know you might have to write 100 lines to realize the first idea was good i've worked with creative directors in the past who talk about sweating the idea or sweating the line and i think it's pretty much the same kind of thought You've really got to kind of stretch and pull it and play with it and poke it and just see where it falls. Yeah, and I, I think that's something that's really like what it, you know, what a copywriter is. It should kind of be copy rewriter. You know, anybody can come <laughs> up with, yeah, anyone can come up with that like one cool line or whatever. I mean, ChatGPT can write you a line, but then it's okay. How do you how do you take that line and all right, that's a good line. Now make sure that it doesn't have the letter R in it because the client doesn't like the letter R. You're like, all right. Uh, Cool. Let me write that write that line again without the letter R for some reason that doesn't make sense in there. Yeah, cool. Now now that it doesn't have a letter R. We still want to have the R sound. We just don't want the letter R in there. You know, and it needs to now have the product name seven times in it, but we don't want it to sound excessive. All right, cool. So I think it's just it's, it's that rewriting that's really tough and, and really starts getting, you know, the Rubik's cubes in your brain start starts turning and you have to really crack this puzzle. So yeah, I think like writing a sentence is easy. I think cracking a puzzle using words as a tool to solve 
increasingly complex problems, I think is is really the task of a copywriter. And that that's, I think, the craft that not everyone can do. Or I guess everyone can do, but not everyone's trained to do or knows how to do. I like the idea of the Rubik's Cube in your brain. I also, I need to pick up on a point you just made. There's a great tweet of yours, which is 10 years ago, I was told UGC would take my job. Five years ago, I was told search, Facebook, Instagram would take my job. Three years ago, I was told influencers would take my job. This year, I'm being told AI will take my job. Look, can someone take my job already? The suspense is killing me, um, which, uh, which I love. What, what are your thoughts on, on an AI then? I mean, I, I know it's a broad topic, but in the context of juniors and people entering this world... What do you think AI represents? Do you think that's a tool to help them write and rewrite? Or do you think they should sweat the idea without any of these AI tools available? Yeah, I'll, you know, actually, before that, I'll add one more. Somebody came up to me uh, in the event and said, hey, aren't you worried about NFTs taking, you know, how, how you're going to work in advertising now that NFTs are out there? And I was like, I don't even understand how that could be <laughs> taking my job. <laughs> but I trust you. I trust you that NFTs are the reason that advertising is going to collapse. So there's always something. I do actually think that the, that AI and especially the sort of GPT stuff and, and the mid journeys and everything, I, I think are going to have a pretty massive impact on advertising. I think they already do. I've found that they're very good tools for sort of filling in the stuff. Like if I'm like, oh, I have my 14th script about a, a bar and I need to describe a bar instead of just saying open on a bar, it's a, you know open on a... Uh, Williamsburg pub with um, candles on the table or whatever. It's good at like giving, feeding me that kind of stuff. That's not particularly creative, but it's very specific. I think one thing that's not great at is coming up with new ideas or particularly novel ideas. It's good at sort of answering a thing that a very specific prompt that you ask it to do. I don't think it's very good at solving a problem, which like I said, I, you know, I always, I always think of copywriting as problem solving using words. And that's sort of how do you how do you add value to something by using words, which is kind of a there's sort of a weird magical alchemy to it, which look, if AI can start adding value to things on its own, that's gonna be amazing. That's cool. I just, I have I just haven't really seen that yet. There's another thing I was I said to somebody about AI where it's it's really good at telling you something once you've already solved the problem, like once you already know what you're looking for, it's really good at then like filling in the blanks that you kind of you sort of have to have cracked it already. Yeah, that's a nice way of thinking about um, it. Yeah, but you know that all might change. I mean, we maybe we all will be replaced, but I think there's something about you know, advertising or any kind of art-based thing that it's you know connecting one human to another human, and if computers are better at connecting to a human than a human is to connecting a human. I mean, we're kind of at end game anyway. So, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe it's, maybe, maybe we're all sort of either in utopia or, or hell at that point. And, um, you know, maybe I'm not so worried about advertising because uh, there are bigger things to worry about at that point. Like what is, what is humanity? So, yeah. So I'm, I'm generally excited about it. I, I think it's, I think it's like when Photoshop was, you know, being used instead of, people having to you know do everything when manually or you know typesetting or things like you know how, when you went from typesetting to doing things on a computer i think it's a massive shift but i don't see it it's also everyone has the tool so i think it's going to be very interesting i don't i don't i'm not too worried yet yet 
Yeah, maybe they'll maybe we will all be replaced, but then they won't stick around because you know why? Why would they? <laughs> Look at some of the faults of this industry. The robots yeah. will take our jobs and quickly quit, quit after. Hey, I will just mean. What do you mean you want it to be blue but more red? <laughs> <laughs> Please describe. Please explain how that's a thing. Time, weather, and. We interrupt this podcast to announce that we will never interrupt this podcast with ads. Ads that awkwardly nudge you to contact the pod's host, Giles Edwards, at giles at gasp.agency. Only the other day, some pod listening companies did just that, calling for guidance on research and brand identity. But we're definitely not asking you to do that. Anyway, back to the show. My first sort of proper paid weekly job was a holiday job as a student uh, which was driving a forklift truck at the Ribena factory in Culford, Gloucestershire. Ah, Call to Action, episode 11, with the one and only Rory Sutherland. Not what we were looking for, but hang on a minute. You ah, talk in the go. book about taking your fate in your own hands, and in the context of being handed a shit brief, uh, still trying to make something happen. Can you explain a bit more about that? Because that is definitely a gripe that I've heard a few times, especially from younger writers. Yeah. Well, okay. So there are some briefs that they're not great for structural reasons of there's 40 people who have to approve it. And there are very specific things you have to say. And you're, you know, the box that you have is impossibly small, but there's always kind of a way out. There's always a, an interesting thing you can do and you can always do more. So if you have a, you know, somebody says, Oh, I need you to do a tweet that says exactly this. And you say, cool, here's that tweet. And here's, Here's another one I think is really interesting that's something cultural that's also sort of answers the same brief that you're asking for. So you can always do like a, a sort of yes and thing, like here's the thing you asked for, here's the thing that's a little bit further. Also, just, just make up briefs. Uh, the, you mentioned earlier the sort of cookie sent to bus shelters, which is um, for the listeners, for uh, Got Milk, uh, which is the California Milk Processing Board line as Got Milk. We created these bus shelters that smelled like chocolate chip cookies. And just said got milk, and that was it. That was the whole ad, um, and it got a lot of attention. It was it was made international news. Surprisingly, uh, it was just these a few bus shelters in San Francisco, and it, it got absolutely massive attention. And it wasn't a brief. No, I wasn't working on got milk at the time. Just my partner and I were working on another project over the weekend. We had this silly idea. We wrote it up and we brought it into uh, Jeff Goodby and showed it to him. And he's like, "Yeah, that's funny. Do it." And we just. We just went with it. We rolled with it and uh, and made that happen. So that's you know you don't have to wait for the wait for the perfect brief. You can just make your own up. And then the other thing is, I think if you look at sort of historically some of the best advertising out there, they wasn't like, hey, the brief for this project is come up with the best advertising idea ever. That's rarely the idea that's actually going to be a, the best advertising idea ever. It's always a, hey, we need like a companion website that goes with this cool idea that we think is really neat and nobody's really looking at it so just kind of do whatever and we'll just push it through those are the ideas where you're really going to do something kind of incredible and interesting yeah it's it's always the sort of like throwaway things that nobody was expecting anything from because nobody's watching you can get away with all kinds of stuff yeah is it just that i suppose in a way time is the currency there isn't it it's making sure you get your work done so you've got that time for that type of thinking yeah, which is actually like why you know in my book a lot of it's just how do you how do you get to an answer faster, but you know good answers faster I I think is sort of 
I don't want people to think that the book is like, like I was saying, five words that will help you sell anything. It's like, those aren't, <laughs> you know, that's not a real thing. It's just, how do you approach a problem in different ways? How can you look at it differently, spin it differently and get to the sort of the fun bits? Yeah. yeah. We've had a few listener questions. So I'm going to move there now. Asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or boat names, is notoriously fraught with danger, but that's not stopped us asking. So I'm going to start, actually, no, in the spirit of juniors, we've got a fantastic intern working with Gasp at the moment. So he's still at uni and dipping his toe in the industry. So it felt apt that we ask him for a question. So this comes from Judd Dugdale. If you had to go back to the start of your career, would you do anything different? And if so, what? Ooh, you know, it, it's it's sort of put money in a retirement account. I mean, that's sort of a dumb answer, but also like it's one of those things that in hindsight, I really wish I would have would have done earlier. So that's sort of that answer. I think I would just maybe be like slightly less intimidated by people. I think I still had a little bit of a, an aura around some of the people I you know worked with. I mean, especially with, you know, my first two jobs I worked, well, I mean, well, I guess all my full-time jobs, I worked with people where I was like, slightly intimidated by their body of work and, and everything. And uh, I did kind of push myself to talk to them and you know see if they needed anything and all that stuff. But I, I kind of wish I was like less, less sort of in awe of them and more just like, Hey, what's up? <laughs> Want to go get a beer? Like that kind of stuff. Uh, just uh, yeah, a little bit less intimidated uh, and more, more sort of in their face. Yeah. That's good advice. Question two, there's three parts to this. It comes from, Andrew Bolton, and it reveals, I think, the moral fiber of the man. So you might need to take your time so we can always come back to this. Andrew says, there are loads of famous Toms. Choose the one you'd want to, one, carry in a piggyback for the whole day, two, float with in a barrel down a river, and three, edit your next stupid book. Oh. (sighs) Carry on my back. Man. I feel like Thomas Edison was a was a pretty small gentleman. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. <laughs> he was. Yeah. Seems like a good one. What was the second one? A rafting was rafting. Float in a barrel down a river. Float oh, with in a barrel. Crucially, so I imagine you're quite compressed together. Man, see, this is where actually this, I'm gonna go Edison again because maybe we'd have a light bulb in there. I feel like you'd <laughs> whip up something. I feel, I feel like maybe Thomas Jefferson. He seems kind of scrappy. He's probably been in a barrel before. He feels he feels he feels like he has barrel barrel experience. <laughs> I was gonna say it's the quote of the episode. <laughs> what was the last one? Editing editing my book. He actually says stupid book, but he's he's a very envious man. Stupid book. So and Andrew Bolton and I have a have a fake rivalry that really entertains me quite a bit. Um, we'll, yeah. we'll occasionally threaten each other and stuff. We hope for each other's downfall, but in, in the yes. best way. Uh, Tom Wolf would be a good one. I'm going to go with Tom Wolf. Tom Wolf. Yeah, be probably pretty brutal, but I think fair. That would be a good one. Would tell me my book is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like Andrew's face. <laughs> <laughs> like, Andrew's, like Andrew's stupid face. Yeah. Just... Oh, well fielded. <laughs> Right, let's get let's get to a more uh, a bit more of a proper question. So this comes from Call to Action alumni Cameron Day. So Cameron asks, "What is the most important thing you learned from Jeff and Rich?" Jeff and Rich. I mean, wow. Most people know them as Goodby and Silverstein. I've learned so much from both of them. Um, 
So yeah, Jeff Jeff Goodby wrote the forward for Junior, so I owe him a good chunk of my career and success and all of that, which is why I asked him to to do the forward. You know, it's interesting. I, I had a good working relationship with with Jeff, and I you know I write scripts with him and things like that. I think one thing I really learned from him was just trust. I I'd sent a, a script over once, and his assistant came by and said, "Yeah, hey, you know." Jeff thinks, but he gave me some feedback is that it's overwritten and maybe we should kind of trim it down. And I said, okay, cool. And I like sat there and I rewrote it and I said, okay, should I send it over to him? Like, you know, he's got a client meeting coming up. She's like, no, no, he says he trusts you. And that was the most, <laughs> the most terrifying, but also <laughs> the most sort of freeing thing of, okay, I went and rewrote the script like four more times because <laughs> just the I trust you piece was like, okay, and I really you trust me to do this. I'm going to do it right. I, I trust myself as well in that situation because he told me he trusts me and I trust him. So I think just giving people trust and not fiddling too close with people's work and sort of assuming, you know, just knowing that they probably have a reason they're doing the thing they're doing. Um, I think I learned, learned trusting people from Jeff. Um, Rich is like a, he's like a ball of energy and he's so direct He's not just going to say, oh, I'll figure it out. Here's, here's an idea. He's like, this is the thing. This is why you need to do it. This is crap. And just how direct he is, I think, is is such a important thing because it saves so much time, <laughs> for one. And I think once you get over the initial sort of shock of it, just because so many people aren't direct, you know, everyone sort of wants to be polite and talk around things, I think it's, it's just so refreshing and then, and then just from a creativity standpoint, I mean, if you just read emails that Jeff would write around, you know, send around to the agency and they're perfectly crafted, like the punctuation is in the perfect place. I mean, it's just the things that he can do with like a comma is like more than most writers can do. It's, it's such an impressive writer. So just, I mean, I would study everything he wrote as, you know, uh, he, he probably just wrote it, you know, on the toilet on his phone or something, but you know, I'm, yeah. I'm sitting there dissecting it. And then, and then just Rich is sort of his library of knowledge of, of the visual world and referencing things and like understanding the connection between these visual things. I think it's just also it's just so so impressive. You know, there's always like a allusion to something or like a, there's always an, another layer visually there. It's just it's just really cool. So I mean, from a creative advertising standpoint, there's also a ton to learn from both of them. So they're idiots is what I'm saying. They're nothing compared to me. <laughs> they're not In my new book. I'm the greatest, smartest super dude ever. <laughs> the final part of the interview, Thomas, is our four pertinent poses that we put to all of our guests. Number one being, what advice would you give to your younger self? I would, you know, I've got a whole book. I'm just going to slip it over to him and be like, here you go. Good luck with you. <laughs> so that's, that's it. I'm not even going to say anything. I'm just going to... I'm just going to freak out my younger self and I'll be like, who the fuck was that? That was really weird. Um, That dude, that dude looked haggard by life. What happened to him? And then I'll just leave my younger self thinking about that. And that'll, that'll make me make better choices. (laughs) Number two, if you could banish one thing from the industry, what would it be? And why would it be Andrew Bolton? I mean, and and (laughs) Andrew is gone along with him would be uh, Slack. Uh, or kind of any other sort of productivity tool. I feel like productivity tools and and creative thinking don't really go hand in hand. Nothing makes me work slower than having a productivity tool. I think there's like this whole thing, I have this whole theory on creativity where like the, 
basically like a human brain wants to be lazy. Like, you know, thinking takes a lot of energy and to conserve energy, your brain wants to do nothing. And creative thinking takes like a lot of energy. So your brain just wants to not do it. Um, and I think having any excuse, like a little message dinging makes your brain be like, Oh, time to take a break. Uh, so I think, <laughs> so I think productivity tools are, uh, are absolutely, especially like, Oh, just checking in how you're doing. Like, Oh, checking in cool time to turn my brain off time to conserve some more energy. I, I think like any tool like that just sort of <laughs> slows the process. Yeah. Well said. I, do you know what? I, I, that's not come up before. And this is, I don't know, episode 120 ish and that's not come up before, but I'm so pleased that it finally has. Yes. We will bring it down. <laughs> number three then aside from junior which we will of course link to in this episode are there any books that you would recommend to our listeners you've read them all so yeah <laughs> people can just pick up a second copy of junior i mean it's, it's as good the second time <laughs> yeah. uh book of gossage is a great one um i, I mean I, I could you know i can mention like cameron day's books and and luke sullivan's book they've both been mentioned here those are great books um book of gossage is a, is a really weird one it's like an old um, old advertising legend who um, I think just thought really weird and approached problems in really strange, interesting ways. And although the, maybe the specific ads are sort of outdated, I think the approach that he took is is still, I think, maybe more so relevant today. It's all very kind of counter and trying to um, to hack all the media that he that he had available, which was you know print media, uh, but just that sort of approach. I think would. would I think it's really interesting. Yeah, Book of Gossage is a good one. What was he described as the Velvet Underground to to Ogilvy's Beatles? Something along those yeah. lines. <laughs> yeah, something like that, yeah. Steve Harrison's been on the pod a couple of times, and he's been on a real pilgrimage of Gossage. Made a movie about him, actually. Oh, yeah. It's worth hunting down. It's hard to find, but I think it can be found. We'll link to uh, Book of Gossage. And then number four is we always dedicate every episode to someone. And we bestow that honour to our guest who has to give the reason why. So would you kindly dedicate this episode? Initially, I was thinking Jeff Goodby for obvious reasons. Helped me out a lot in my career. Um, I'm going to say Veronica Padilla, who is the recruiter at Crispin Porter McGusky, who brought me in to advertising from a, from a no-name school, brought me into internship based on just absolutely super wild, stupid letters, um, she should have told me to like, you know, crawl into a hole and die, but instead she brought me in. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna dedicate this episode to her. Oh, that's awesome. She's still alive. Do I, does do I need to? Does she need to be dead? Does somebody need to kill her now so that I can be like <laughs> properly dedicated? Or is it? Can they still be alive? No, she's good. I, she's good. I feel, I'd feel bad if now she had to die. <laughs> no, no, we'll let this one fly. It's fine. <sighs> okay, good. Are you good. still in touch with Veronica? Can I ask? Yeah. Um. You know, just when I had the book and I was like, Hey, I'm going to be publishing all these back and forths between the two of us. Is that okay? And she was really happy to, to hear from me. And then actually she, I did another podcast and she, uh, she worked at the agency where the person who had the podcast worked. So she, she stopped into the, into the middle of the podcast and surprised me. So that was, that was pretty cool. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. We hadn't really talked in, in years. So that was, yeah. I think it's like a weird thing where you don't, sometimes you don't know that you've changed somebody's life. Or you don't like think about it really. So I don't know, hopefully someday somebody will say, hey, your book is the reason that I don't work in advertising. Thank you so much for steering me away from from that horrible field. (laughs) That's a cool dedication. This episode is very proudly dedicated to Veronica Padilla. Fantastic. So as a final call to action, 
by Junior, basically, at least once. This episode will have links to everything we've discussed, including the Book of Gossage as well. But how else can our listeners get more Thomas Kemeny? I am T. Kemeny on every social channel. The one big success in my life is I've become the at the T. Kemeny. I just go in there right whenever new technology comes out claim my name and then don't post for like three years. So that's where you can find me. Does that include threads? I'm on threads. Of course you are. (laughs) Nice. I refuse to go still, but uh, okay. good. (laughs) We'll we'll include links to all of the socials that we can find. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really fun. Uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. Great. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much for, for finally, finally breaking down, ignoring Andrew Bolton and getting me on here. (laughs) (laughs) And finally then, thank you to everyone listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share and review the pod. Keep your questions and guest requests coming in. To get in touch, it's easy to find Gasp online, or you can email the mouthful that is calltoaction at gasp.agency. Try and I try and I try.